Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. Happy post-Thanksgiving day. And uh, happy, as the cynics have uh, introduced us to, happy new year. (laughs) As the church thinks about it, we've begun a new year, a new rhythm of our church life. Uh, By the way, if you're just joining us, we just want to welcome you. Seriously, this is an incredible place. God is doing incredible things. Please hang out a little bit. Let us get to know you. And as we begin here, I just want to start by reading the text of Scripture that we're going to look at today. It is an Advent text. It is a text that prepares our hearts uh, for the coming of Jesus. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 3. We're going to start, just get the background, verses 2 and 3, and then we'll focus on Uh, 7 through 18. This is the gospel of our Lord. Uh, It starts off talking about the emperor and all the governors and all that. In verse 2, it says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Skip down to verse 7. And John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were wondering in their hearts concerning John, whether or not he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as the psalmist did so many years ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We learned something growing up, and it's been true for us at every age and stage of our lives. We are all wired for expectation. We're all wired for expectation. We are all formed and fashioned to be hungry for hope that the future will be better than the present. We're wired for that. 
We're created for that. In fact, you can see it every place that you look. One, one great example of this is in art and entertainment. One of the things we're told is one of the defining elements of any good writing, whether you're writing a screenplay for a movie or a book or a story, one of the key elements is there must be suspense and anticipation wired into the story. If you don't have some conflict, some tension, some suspense, you don't have a story. Uh, let me give you an example from one of the beloved stories that many of us had growing up. I want you, uh, I'm going I'm to mention the opening line. See, good writers will do this from the opening line of the book. I'm going to mention, see if you can guess what story this is from, this beloved childhood story. Here's, here's the opening line. Where is Papa going with that axe? What's that story? Anybody know this? Somebody's raising their hand. Where's Papa going with that axe? Anybody? Charlotte's Web, absolutely. One of the great beloved stories of childhood. Let me, let me just read some of the opening words. The, this is the beginning of the book, and you start with suspense. Here's how it starts. There's no way you can read that, so I'll read it to you. Where's Papa going with that axe, said Fern, to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. Out to the hog house, cried Mrs. Arable. Some pigs were born last night. Well, I don't see why he needs an axe, continued Fern, who was only eight. Well, said her mother, one of the pigs is a runt. It's very small and weak, and it will never amount to anything. So your father has decided to do away with it. Do away with it, shrieked Fern. You mean kill it just because it's smaller than all the others? Mrs. Arable put a pitcher of cream on the table. Don't yell, Fern, she said. Your father's right. The pig would probably die anyway. And Fern pushed a chair out of the way and ran outdoors. And that's the beginning of the book. From the earliest age of our lives, we are drawn into expectation and hope. By the way, that's not just good storytelling. It is the truth of God and the way God reveals himself throughout history. One of the things you'll notice throughout the Bible and throughout church history, like the tides going in and out, there are themes of expectation. There are entire times and seasons of expectation of, and hope in the Bible. Here's the way it comes out. Watch throughout the Bible, beginning to end, for this twin movement, like the tides, of promise and then fulfillment. Promise and then fulfillment. And as any human being has ever experienced, often with God, there is an extended period of time in between the two. Promise. And fulfillment, promise of fulfillment. It's throughout the Bible. Greatest example in the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. After 400 years of expectant, hopeful waiting, God splits the sea, takes them out, delivers them out of slavery, and all the while he's promised them. In fact, even centuries before, he had Abraham build up suspense in the story. By walking the land of the promise. And he says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. But in between the promise and the promised land fulfillment, what do you have? The wilderness of expectation. Throughout scripture, you see this movement. And I think it's incredibly wise, as the Shinnicks have introduced it to, incredibly wise that followers of Jesus some centuries ago said, why don't we practice that? Why don't we take certain seasons in the rhythm of our church year and actually practice expectation, anticipation, and hope? And so there are major seasons of the church year. Some follow it, some don't. You don't have to. 
But we don't just go to Easter here anymore. We actually lead up to it with a season called Lent. It's a practice of expectation. And here for, for years here at 4th Avenue, we don't just rush to Christmas. We say we're going to do this thing called Advent first. We're just going to step into the rhythm of Jesus's life. And we're going to think about this. We're going to prepare for Christmas in this way. Here's the thing, by the way. If you, you think of the word Advent, you think, oh, this is weird. No, it's just the word that means coming or arrival. My, my, my phrase summary of what the Advent season is about, it's about practicing the truth that we worship a God who shows up. God shows up. That's what Advent is about. And so, yes, we're leading up to the time where we celebrate God's first Advent, his first showing up in the child, the baby, Jesus. But I love how you brought this out, Mike, especially leading to communion. Advent for all of Christian history has been more focused on the second Advent and not the first one. In other words, yes, we're getting ready for Christmas. We're going to celebrate the child coming of the world. But the reason we celebrate the one who came, listen to me, is because he is coming again. And so in this season, we're asking God to prepare our hearts, not just for the celebration of the fact he came in the past, but he will show up again in our lives. So hear me, please don't buy into Hallmark Channel's rush to Christmas. <laughs> we're not there yet. Amen. Look, don't tell, don't tell anybody, Brad, but I do too. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, Brad. I, I, I'm, a sap, I'm a sap for good, good stories too. But listen, don't rush. Don't rush to Advent, I mean to Christmas. Why? Because we prepare our hearts in this time for the God who is showing up. And that's exactly where the story starts, doesn't it? Like it's stoking the fires of hope. Right After years and years, if you know Jewish history, years and years of silence from heaven, it says the word of God came to this crazy guy out in the desert, and hope is building up. So we don't want to rush, because for anybody that's lived through the last two years, and I opened the paper, there's another variant coming out, all that kind of stuff. Listen, hope's building up in us too, isn't it? Don't rush. Don't rush. Because it's precisely at the peak of hope and expectation that the Bible tells us, you're ready for it? Wait! You're not ready. Oh yeah, the hope is built up. It's, it's bursting at the seams. But, but John says, hold on, wait. You're not ready yet. What? Oh, we've been practicing hope. They've said for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're on the next slide, by the way. We're hoping and we're waiting for years and years and years. For hundreds of years, they've been waiting. Promise and fulfillment. What promise are they waiting for? The Messiah is going to come. The anointed one's coming. The appointed one's coming. The king of the universe is going to show up in the world and he's going to change everything. They've been waiting. They're ready for it. And John says, no, you're not. Think about this. They know the stories, they built up to it. They've had their Advents kind of seasons for year after year after year. And then John shows up and it says he's preaching a baptism of repentance. And some people hear that message and throngs of people flock out to the desert. And just at the moment, hope is bursting out. Here is the introduction of John's sermon. You sons of snakes, who told you to come out here? What a wonderful introduction to people that are ready to. You sons of snakes, he says. Who told you to come out here? Stories full of irony. 
Who told them? God told them. Year after year after year, there's going to be a stream in the desert. God is going to break out hope in the middle of nowhere. God had told them, by the way, ironically, John says, who told you? He told them. <laughs> Come. Repent. Be baptized. In the moment they show up, he says, you sons of snakes, who told you to come here? What in the world is going on with this part of the story? I love the way we try to dodge difficult places in the text. I do it too. My heart is like a harmonizer. I don't like to go to this part. I don't want to preach this part of it. And I even found one place, one, one writer said, here's the way to preach this. Here's what's going on. John is joking with them. He's kind of winking. He's kind of, all right, so here's the way that one writer suggests preaching this. He says, you know, announce to the church, you family of vipers, I'm doing what he told me to do. You family of vipers, who told you to come here for hope? And don't say we're believers, because God can raise up believers from those rocks over there. And he says, smile really big and hold your hands out, and everybody will know you're joking like John was. What? That's not what's going on here. But hear me, here's the flip side. John is not joking, but John is also not being a jerk either. John is not one of those hot-headed preachers who likes to get a crowd just by yelling and screaming at them. What is going on here? I think John says, and we know this from the Bible, sometimes the hard word is the healing word, isn't it? Sometimes the hard word, the difficult word, is actually the saving word. We know this with all sorts of relationships in our lives, the best teachers in our lives, best coaches in our lives told us what we needed to hear, not what we wanted to hear. I have the best doctor on the planet. Some of you might know him. Best doctors in our lives, best friends in our lives, tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Sometimes the hard word is the healing word. And John says, you sons and daughters of snakes, he's not being mean. What does that word brood of vipers means brood means children of you children of vipers of snakes of serpents what comes to mind when we hear that we, we hear the image of the evil one who did what as a serpent in the garden he deceived so what is John doing in this moment he's saying all right I'm excited for you to come but before you dive in the water make sure you are not being deceived or deceiving yourselves. Make sure the voice that you are hearing that's calling you to this moment is the voice of God and not the voice of the evil one. Don't deceive yourself or be deceived. That's a healing word. It's a hard word, but it's a healing one. I, I, I think about this moment, what, what John's trying to do, and I, I'm reminded of one of the people that trained me and trains me still for some of the leadership consulting that I do. He has this really weird technique, a really weird approach, when he gets to the place where he's giving a proposal to a client to have this relationship of consulting, and you've gotten to the moment that anybody that does work like this is really excited about because the potential client says, yes, I want to work with you, and I'm ready to sign the check. Where do I send the check? Where do I, uh, you know, write the Venmo here? What, 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 I'm ready to do it, and in that moment, he says something that astounded me. He said, here's my practice. He said, in that moment, don't do what everybody else does and pop the cork and get really excited. He said, test the yes. Think about this. Test the yes. You can do this if you're in sales. You can do this in leadership. You can do this with your kid. Test the yes. What does that mean? 
He said, you have this moment, and a potential client says, yes, I'm all in. He says, now wait. Take 24 hours. Are you really ready for this? Take 24 hours. Go home and talk about it. Pray about it. Think about it. And, and listen, he's not being manipulative. He's just saying, look, I'm all in. So I want you to take 24 hours to test the yes. Make sure when you come back, you're all in too. This is not manipulation when John says this. Listen, it's passion. John believes so deeply in the one who is about to come, he's willing to test the yes even when the throngs of people are coming out. Are you really ready for this? And God will do it too. What if we thought about this as a message for us in the weeks and days leading up to Christmas? What if we let God's Spirit ask us this question? Are you really ready for the thing you most want? Are you really ready for it? Are we willing to even let God say the hard word to us? Are we willing to say, Holy Spirit of God, would you tell me if I'm not ready yet for the thing I really want? Think about this. What do you most want in this season of your life? What do you really want for Christmas? <laughs> well, I'm not talking about what you want under the tree. What are you longing for? For some, I know I've worked with some folks, I've talked with some folks, some of you are just longing for a little light in your workplace. A little more hope, a little more direction, a little more passion. And it might not be your official paycheck job. It might just be with what occupies your time. Some of you want an outlet for your passion, and you don't see it happening right now. Are you willing to let God say, I I I'm coming, but you're not ready for that yet? For some of you, what you really, really want is a new relationship or re a renewed relationship. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit of God say, you might not be ready for that yet? See this, some of you, we have a lot of folks in the recovery community here. See us in recovery all the time. People pray for years and years and years, would you please let him get sober? And they go to the treatment center, they get sober, and they come back to a sick family system, which they help create. But all of a sudden, people realize, hold on, i got to change too. Are we ready for God to answer the prayers we most deeply want to pray? Can I, can I just say this? What do we want as a church? You know what I want? I want this. I want a preacher to stand here that loves God more than anything else and loves you more than anything else to help join this team and lead. Here's the question in the text I don't want to ask. Are you ready for it? God says you might not be ready for that yet. By the way, all the things I just mentioned and anything that's on your Christmas list, God will eventually bring, whether it's what you think it is or what you really most need. God's going to do this. Let's just use these examples, right? Your passion might say, how do I know God's going to show up in my workplace? Here's the thing, we sung it. But Jesus says it this way, my father is always working. Here's what I know, God's always doing something new in the world and he will always invite you to join him. Here's the only question, are you ready yet? Hold on, God's going to restore and renew relationships? You better believe it. The end of the Bible in Revelation says this about our God. He is making what? All things new. Here's the question. Are you ready for it yet? And he also says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I know that's talking about the global church. A local congregation may not be true, but here's what I'm convinced of. God has a, a man to come here and help lead. Here's the question. Are you ready? Are we ready? I've seen churches after churches. I've seen government agencies. I've seen nonprofits. Time and time again, the right person has come, and it wasn't the right time. So what if we spend this season of time as 
as the discernment team keeps inviting us to do, yes, we're praying for a person, but we're also praying, God, what are you calling us to do right now? What are you doing in us? Because God says what we most deeply care about and are passionate about, we may not be ready for. I, I remember one year of my life, this whole picture, kind of picture a calendar ahead. Picture the year. And I remember in June, <laughs> I got to this place where I had the plan all worked out, so excited, doors were open and things were happening. And I was leaning to this, it was some years ago now, and in June, and all of a sudden a door slammed in my face. And it wasn't just one month, it was two, and I remember it wasn't until December of that year. Can you picture that? What until December of that year, everything changed. Totally different than the picture I had envisioned, plan I had, but I'll never forget this. One of the dearest friends of my life said to me, Dean, what do you think would have happened if you got what you thought you wanted back in June? What do you think would have happened? And he said it, and I said it too. It would have been horrible. His words, he said, that was wrong for you, but here's the thing, you weren't ready. And God was using those six months to prepare your heart to birth the next thing in your life. What if that's true for all of us? What if we took the season of Advent to say, I'm ready for the gift of the coming of God in not just the end of time, but right in the middle of time. But Lord, would you help prepare my heart first? Do we have the courage to, to hear the word from God, which says, man, you may be on the brink of hope. Yes, but wait, you're not ready yet. So what do we say? We say what they said back then. <laughs> what should we do? What should we do? And here's what John says. You prepare to hope. Hold on, what? You prepare. Yes, you prepare to hope. Hold on, I didn't think I had to prepare to hope. I thought hope is just something that just happens. No, John says you actually prepare to hope. In the seasons of our lives, when we are not where we want to be yet, God often invites us to do one classic biblical word here. It's the color of that candle represents one word. Here's the word, repent. How do we actually prepare to hope? John says you repent. By the way, he says this to soldiers and tax collectors and to church folks. Everybody is invited to repent in the story. Everybody. Now, if you're like me, here's the thing. I've taught on this in class. Let me share it here. I grew up kind of having this picture of repentance as like an ethical moment in time, right? In fact, some in our heritage have even made it one of the steps to salvation. So you hear, believe, repent, you're baptized, and you go on your way. Look, there's nothing wrong with that. But repentance is so much more than a moment in time saying, I'm sorry for bad things I've done. It runs much deeper than that. Again, I've taught this in class, let me share it here. The word repentance in the New Testament has a very specific sense to it. Repentance isn't just a moral moment. Listen to me. Repentance is a directional term. It's a directional term. In other words, here's, here's a paraphrased way to literally translate the word repentance. Make a U-turn in your thinking and your way of being. Make a U-turn. Turn around. In other words, here's a way to say what John's saying. You prepare to go forward into God's future by turning around. What? <laughs> you prepare to go forward, yes, by turning around. So here's an image of it. This is what repentance means. God is moving. Remember the, the whole point of looking at texts like this, what he says, God's coming. God came, he's coming again, God keeps showing up. Here's the picture. God is headed somewhere. Do you see this? God's going this way. Now what does repentance mean? 
God is going this way, but I'm looking this way. Or maybe even times in my life, I'm walking this way. So what do I have to do to be prepared for the movement of God? What do I have to do? Turn around. This is repentance. I'm turning into the direction of the one who's already coming and moving. Isn't that amazing? And John says, listen, that's something you do. You actually prepare for the thing you're hoping for, for the one you're hoping for. And he gives very specific examples in the text. And one of the things you'll see, this is so helpful to me, it's not just a little checkbox. Repentance is always practical and personal. Repentance is always practical and personal. So the crowds come, they say, what do we do? Great, well you got stuff, so be generous with it. If you have two cloaks, you give to the one who has none. I've tried to apply this to Gary, he's not hearing me on this, but if, if your brother has two campers, you need to give to the one who has none. I'm trying to get, like, to, from the Bible, but it's somehow not quite working just yet. But, right, so it's very practical, it's very personal, it applies to your particular sphere of life. And so the tax collectors say, well, well what about us? What does is, what is the turning of God look like for us? He said, don't take more than you're supposed to have. Like, don't abuse your power. And for soldiers, what does it look like for you? Don't make up stories. Don't lie. You, you shoot straight. You tell the truth. You don't exploit people with the lies either. Does it make sense? It's always practical. Like, it makes a difference in life. And it is personal to your own life and your own circumstance. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me, I read a part like this in the text, and it's so easy to walk away saying, okay, go be nice. Be nice as a Christian. That's not what he's saying. But let me remind you, just, this is, I think if John were preaching to somebody else, he would use different examples. What are the themes that come out of this? Generosity, proper use of incredible power, but proper use of power, and shooting straight with the truth. Generosity, proper use of incredible power, shooting straight with people. Who does that sound like? Do you see what John's doing? John is saying, I'm not just telling you to do nice things. I'm telling you to turn your life and head in the direction of the heart of the one who is coming. Does that make sense? Repentance, turning is practical and personal. What are practical ways that I realign my life to the heart of the one who's going to show up? Who came as a baby, but will split the skies one day and fit everything right. He's coming, folks. So why don't I start now? To prepare for the coming of the one who's here. And so we align our life to his heart. So here's a thought for, for this season, right? What if instead of just buying our gifts and getting you know, the tree set up and all that kind of stuff, what if we dared to ask, and I do it as a prayer right now, ask the Holy Spirit, what is one step that is practical and personal in my heart and my life that might help me head in the direction that Jesus' heart is already there. Does that make sense? What, what if we ask this? Like, I'm praying right now. Like, you can just stop listening to me and just listen to this. Just pray this right now. Holy Spirit of God, as I lead up to Christmas, what is one step I can take in my life to turn in the direction Jesus is headed? And wow, how cool would this be? Think about the thing you want the most. What if, what if I say, God, how can I align my, even before you give it to me, how can I align my heart to where you're already going, whether that comes in my life right now or not? It's practical and it's personal. I'll give you an example of this happened to me last week. I'm stealing it from, uh, from one of my discipleship friends, one of our groups. Uh, he, said, he said, look, 
I find myself in a season where I'm anxious and distracted. Does anybody get a little anxious and distracted around this time of year? Anxious and distracted. He said, here's what I usually do. I get anxious and I turn inward and I stew inside. Does anybody else struggle with that? So when he's talking, I'm like, that's me. But here is his practice. He's not tying to Advent, but this was his practice. He said, here's what I'm going to do in the days ahead. When I'm tempted to turn inward and stew, instead I'm going to turn outward and serve. I'm going to pick one person, maybe make a phone call, maybe make a quick text, send a Bible verse and pray. In that moment, instead of turning inward, I'm going to turn outward. What a beautiful example of repentance, right? It's not just saying, I'm sorry, you're crying. No, he's going to turn his heart away from himself and turning inward to say, Jesus is a guy who directs his heart towards other people, so I'm going to go that way. Isn't that amazing? What a great example of how to live this passage out. What is it for you? What is it for you in this season? You take one step coming closer to the heart of Jesus. What is it for us as a church? And this time, before someone comes into this, long before that happens, can we say, God, what is one thing that you're going to lead us to do to get closer to the heart of Jesus? Why do we do that? Because it's important to prepare for the hope that God's going to bring. Now, here's the thing. God warns us here in this time, be sure, don't aim your hope <laughs> in the wrong direction. <laughs> right? Don't aim your hope in the wrong direction. Because there's always a tendency to do that. Look at this in, in verse 15. It says the people were filled with expectation and wonder. They were filled with expectation and wonder. We're thinking this is awesome. And then it says thinking that John might be the one they're waiting for. What? They're filled with expectation and wonder. But hold on, is John the one? And so quickly like a faithful servant of God, John says, no, absolutely not. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes and then he gives the advent promise he says there is one who's coming who is don't aim in the wrong direction with this i've shared this with a lot of people in my discipleship group and in class even recently i want to go back to something pat bill said a few weeks ago when he was here the number one or number two depending on the uk or here podcast apple podcast in the world is the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you haven't heard it, especially the leaders, great thing to listen to. Because you get the story of a guy and a movement who started in a good way, but they ended up building a church, an entire church planting network on one man's ego and one man's personality. Again, I'm not picking on him. What's brilliant about the shows is it keeps asking the question, what's going on inside of us that we keep looking for spiritual celebrities? Is that a convicting word or not? My, my, my most convicting thing, the powerful thing that I wrote it down, so I share it with you. In one of the last episodes, it says, why is it that religious people keep looking for a mascot for their spiritual journey? Keep attaching ourselves to some human being, and when they go up, we feel good about ourselves, and when they fall down, we go against, or whatever the case may be. Here's what John says, you don't need a spiritual mascot. He's already here, and he's coming back. Look to him. And I've told this everywhere, everywhere I go. I've told it in discipleship groups. I already told it in the church that I'm about to go to. I share it with you. I saw a picture. It was the same week. I've been binging Mars Hill, you know, a week or two ago. And then Mike and I went to this discipleship conference. And at the end of this conference, this guy closed the conference. His name is Robert Coleman. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? 
I love it that most people have never heard of this man. He wrote the book in the 1970s, 1980s called The Master Plan of Evangelism, where his whole point is do what Jesus did. And yeah, do everything in the big group, but focus on a few. Pour your life into a few. Sorry, I love this. Show the next picture. This is what he showed. I got this from Bobby Harrington. This is the inside of his Bible. On the right are the people he did weddings for. On the left is the last page of many pages. Do you know what this is? The names of everybody that he's walked in discipleship with over, are you ready for this? 92 years. Now, I love it. Most people have no idea who this is, but those people on the left do. And most importantly, he's given his life not to build an empire around himself, but to point to the one who is worthy of waiting for. And you holding me to it, church, the rest of my life. I dedicate myself to this. The, the shepherds of this church have said our mission statement is about dedicating ourselves to this. We are about disciples, being disciples, and making disciples. We're pointing to the one who is coming. Don't aim your hope in the wrong direction. Why? Because I can tell you this with all certainty. I can tell you this from the text with all certainty. God's fervent hope is on the way. God's fervent hope is on the way. What did John do? He announced literally Advent. The word, if this were the Latin Bible, would be Advent. He said, I'm not worthy, but one is adventing. One is coming. And when he comes, he will baptize you and immerse you in the Holy Spirit and the fire of God. And if this makes us just warm and cuddly, we're not hearing the message. Oh, it may be difficult. It may be hard. We may have to wait for this for a while. But here's the promise. When the one who comes, it is a fervent hope. It may not be comfortable at the beginning, but hear me. It is powerful. It is transformative. And it is life-giving. Say to people all the time, when you get the image of fire in the Bible, is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Okay? I'm a philosophy major. Yes is the answer. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. It depends on where the fire is, listen to me, in relation to you. Where are you in relation to the fire? If you are in a proper relationship with the fire, it is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is a life-giving thing. But if you are in the wrong, don't worry, I won't do it, but if you're in the wrong relationship to the fire, it's a painful thing. He's coming. He's adventing. So what does John say? Get in right relationship with the fire of God that is about to come, and it will transform everything in your life. I love the way Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians in the 20th century, put it. Baptism with the Spirit is simply this, the divine cleansing, and listen to this word, reorientation of human beings. God comes and immerses us into his life, and he turns our whole communities in the direction of him. So what if we do this leading up to Christmas? What if we do this? Ask Spirit of God, one thing, one step I can take to get close to your heart. And then, in light of the announcement that the Advent is coming, here, have the courage to say, God, open my eyes when you show up. Open my eyes to see where you are showing up right now. Because the one who came, who is coming, is here. So can we say, open our eyes? Mark, as you come up, I want to share a picture of what this looks like. To be yearning for the fervent hope of God. One of my favorite weddings that I ever had a chance to do 
Really, it was my favorite rehearsal dinner, to be honest. Lots of reasons. Great rehearsal dinner. It was one of good friends. He got married a little bit later than most of the rest of his friends. We're going through the rehearsal dinner. It's well into the end. And people are toasting and saying nice things. And as things were ready to wrap up, uh, we'll call him Craig. That's not his name. Craig's mother gets up. She holds up a glass. And she looks right at the bride-to-be. And she says, he waited for you. She tells the stories of difficult years in his life and chances to turn the right wrong way and to, and to check out early and to settle for less. And he, she said, he waited for you. He's got their Christmas card with their three kids and the blessing of God in their lives. Listen, what's true about human relationships is even more true about God. He is worth waiting for. The promise and the presence of Jesus so what do we say? We say with the end of the Bible, what people all over the world are saying right now in this season, come, come Lord Jesus. And then we have the courage to hear John say, hold on, Jesus has an answer to that prayer. Come Lord Jesus. You know what Jesus says? I am coming. The only question is, will you be ready when I do?